Welcome to Out of the Box with Christine, the podcast for conscious entrepreneurs. Are you willing to step into your greatness? Are you ready to shine? Well, get ready, truth seeker. You're in for an amazing ride. And now, here's the host of the show, Christine Blasdale. Welcome back to Out of the Box with Christine. I am, of course, your host, Christine Blasdell, your motivational multimedia coach. And I'm super excited about today's show because, oh my goodness, I haven't spoken to this lady in so long and there's so much we need to catch up on. Um, she is just this amazing human being. Lisa Heisha is a life coach, author, transformational speaker, TV host, and global traveler, I would really like your your mileage, your fly miles here, <laughs> because Lisa has traveled to well over 60 countries, and she is the author of this fantastic new book called Soul Blazing, Transform Your Imposters into Superpowers and Live a More Purposeful, Authentic Life. Welcome to Out of the Box with Christine, Lisa. Hi, thank you so much. So great to see you again. So good to see you as well. Oh my good. How how long has it been? Has it been like 10 years or something? Yeah, since I was in your studio in Hollywood. That's so weird. That is so weird. Well, and I immediately we had such a great connection um because the the work that you do is so powerful and it helps so many people's lives and you're very you're authentic yourself. That's one thing I really I would say struck me when I first met you, your authenticity. And mm. so I know that you, you know, you walk the walk, you, you talk the talk, but you also walk the walk. And so I'm just so happy to be, be with you again today. So this book, Soul Blazing, it's not just a book, right? Soul Blazing is, is a lot more than just a book. Let's talk about this and how you came up with this, um, uh, the term Soul Blazing and, um, and particularly in this book as well. Yes, um, it's right here, soul blazing. Yeah, it's much more than this because it really is a way of life because I feel like we are we blaze our way through this world, especially if you're ferocious and passionate like you are and I am. You just blazed your way to Australia. Yes. You know, we take chances, we take risks, and that's the only way to live. And if you're too cautious about everything and overthink and want to be liked by everyone and what is everyone going to think, you're never going to amount to anything. And I think I was brought up that way because I was brought up under a Baghdad roof in San Diego. And it was like, what will the neighbors think? What will the relatives think all the time? It was never, who are you? Tell me about you. How do you want to live your life? It's what will everyone else think? And I think that was the genesis of this book. Uh, that what will what will the neighbors think? Boy, that really, you know, that was something that that was so prominent and 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 like everybody's lives not too long ago, and it still is in many ways. We we tend to go, oh, we're so much more advanced than in the seventies, <laughs> but yes. but are we? Um, we are a product of our families, right? Of our community, of our culture, depending on where I'm so grateful that I was, you know, born and raised in Los Angeles. And I'm actually, I remember with my, with, when I went to school, I think I was in kindergarten and a kindergarten teacher 
said, oh, uh, it's so sad. I'm so sorry for you, Christine. I was like, what? what? What's going on? And she said, you know, you're from a broken home. And I, I was like, well, my home's broken? My parents divorced when I was two. And at four or five years old, I actually thanked them personally for getting a divorce because I knew that the that they that they could not be together. My father had a very different personality than my mom. My mom, French, Moroccan, uh, very French coquette, you know, European. My dad from Burbank. <laughs> oh my God! Yes, you know, very rough kind of uh, of personality. And so I thanked them. So I didn't think that my my situation was bad or negative because I had two homes. Right. I had um, one in well, one in a rough area in Arlita and then the other one in Woodland Hills. And so I, I was fine with it. I, I was like, what's wrong with that? And so much of it is that when we're kids, we don't really care or think about what other people think about us and our situation. We adapt. And I think this is something that's so important. I would love you to be speaking to kids. I would love soul blazing to be like a curriculum, like part of the curriculum for kids because those messages are not being told right now. Right. Oh, absolutely. We always want to please. And when you're making choices or when someone's judging you, they're not judging you. They're judging you um, the way they see things. Cause we all are coming from our past and how we've been culturally trained. So it's not the truth. It's just their truth. So if people get that and teens get that, just be you, everyone else is taken. And if you don't decide who you are, someone's going to tell you who to be in this world. And then you're never going to be okay. You're never going to be happy and neither will anyone else. Cause you're never going to be perfect for them anyway. And I think I learned that early on, you know, growing up again under a Baghdad roof, we went to a lot of funerals and basically it was, uh, baptisms, funerals, weddings, and, you know, gatherings, holidays and stuff. But at these funerals, it was fascinating to me because everyone wore black and there was like a hundred people there for people who died, the women on one side, the men on the other, you might know that from your Moroccan background, but there'd be this woman there who would pass out tissue boxes to everybody. And I thought, okay, that's weird. And then she starts yelling at them in Arabic. And I didn't know what they were, she was saying, but you know, I'm like, Oh my God. And you see people going crying. What is she saying to them? And these are the front row people that are really the immediate relatives of the deceased. So in my mind at that time, I thought, what a horrible person who would stand up and do this. And then the women would go down the hall, the, um, the aisle in the church and then, you know, all the way to the gravesite, pulling their hair out and screaming. I'm like, whatever this woman said, this is tragic. But as an adult, I went back and go, what was happening? And they, it wasn't as bad as I thought, but these are trained like grief counselors. You know, they're badass grief counselors to like, go, oh, why are you crying? It's your dad. He wanted you to work in his store and you were too busy. Oh, you did this. Oh, you're the wife. You're crying. Well, you were never even there for him. You complained about whatever is here in the sink and you didn't have his meals or your kid died. You know, you think you were his friend or you, whatever it was. So they could get their grief out so they wouldn't have to spend the rest of their life crying. Carrying it with them. What yes. a, but that's odd. That's stupid in a way. <laughs> yes. In front of everybody. I can yeah. see how that would influence you too as a kid where you're like, 
I don't ever want to die because I don't want yeah. this. I don't want my parents to go through this or my family or, oh my gosh. Yeah. Well, in, but that's in, popular around a lot of cultures. And I spent a lot of time in Japan about 10 years, about three uh, months a year, and it's very popular in Japan. So I'm like, oh, okay, it's not just us, but talk about your travels because I think this is so important. Oh, um, the, the ability to travel and to see different cultures and people living in different ways. I mean, you've traveled, like I said, over like 60 different countries. And so um, we can, we can, we can make our world very small and, and just like if we're just stuck in America and we never leave it, or we, we stay in our little hometown and we never leave it. We think that that's the world, right? Because that's all we've seen. Maybe we've seen some stuff on social media or television or the movies, but when you go and spend time, not just like at a hotel, you know, at a resort, but like actually with people, families, you get to see all the beauty in the differences, but also you get to appreciate people who don't have the same things that, you know, that, that we do. I know you've been to some countries where, you know, they have to go several miles to just get clean water, you know? Oh, so absolutely. Talk about that. Were there any, I mean, everything is memorable. Every trip is probably very memorable, but any really special moments that you were just like, wow, okay, this is, this is big. Yeah. I think, like you said, there were so many special moments because when you're sheltered as a kid and you're saying, this is all there is, and this is how life is. And you have about 50 relatives. So you're seeing like a group, you know, this whole culture, this tribe all behaving that way and thinking the same way. Um, you start to feel like that's the way it is. And if you don't fit in to that thinking for whatever reason, your authentic soul is saying something's not right. You're wrong. And there's something about you going, oh, I don't fit in. I don't belong. And then that starts the, um, you know, if we're going to talk to teens a little bit here, that starts the... Um, process of I'm not good enough. I don't have value. I don't fit in. Who am I? Who am I to have this thought? Who am I to want this? Who am I to do anything? And when I was 16 years old, my story started with a cake and a gun because I was baking a cake three houses down for a girlfriend whose birthday it was the next day with my other good friend. And my dad came home when the streetlights were on. And this was in the 70s when Charles Manson was out and all these serial killers. And he had five teenage daughters at the same time. And he usually worked all day. And he happened to come home to just spend an hour at home because he was starting to get a little help at the store. And when I walked through the door, there was a gun pointed at my heart. And I'm like, what's going on? And then I like, who is this person? I'm like registered, ding, 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 ding. That's my dad who I was very close to and who I loved and adored. And I'm like, what's going on? He's like, how could you be out there like that? How can you be dressed like that? I'm like, it's my checkered Catholic school uniform. And I just walked home from school. I was a couple houses down making a cake. And he's like, what kind of a girl are you? Send her to an orphanage. And I'm like, what is an orphanage? And my mom's like, calm down. She was just baking a cake. No, she was out when the streetlights came on. It was about six o'clock or 6.30. And that changed me. I, I looked at him. I'm like, I was just baking a cake. Then I said, I would leave if I could. Then he's like, take money. I'm like, goodness, why should I give you money? 
Then he took it back. I went ah, crying to my room going, oh my God, now this is all I knew. And that was my hero. And my mom was there and she's just trying to calm him. But then nobody came and said, are you okay? Or what's going on? It was just like, that's it done. Okay, school the next morning. And I'm like, wait a minute, what about all these emotions and what just happened? So from being, I was even nominated as compassionate in school and this good <laughs> you know, straight A student, every hair in place. And, you know, and it changed me. It made me think, what if everything I was taught is wrong? What if there's a whole nother world out there? So I started sneaking out of my window. And this is when travel started for me, my first trips were getting in cars. Only if you pulled over something, I'd say, oh, no, 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 I, I'm sorry. Only Hell's Angels types would I get in their car. And then I would get in and say, are you going to kill me? Why did you pick me up? Why do you have this broken down car? Why do you have tattoos? Why do you have piercings? Why don't you have money? Wh you know, who are you? Why do you live this life? Obviously, you don't have a mansion or you don't have money. You don't have family. <laughs> Otherwise, you wouldn't. And they're you like, get out. Get out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. They're like, where do you want to go? I said, nowhere. I just want to just go around the block a few times. I want to understand. My dad said, I have to fear you. And, you know, he's so mad at me that he pulled a gun on me because uh, because of you. So what are you going to do to me? Why are you that way? Why are you a bad person? Why did you choose? You know, I just want to understand. And I did that about a dozen times. Not one person hurt me and they became my angels. They became my therapists. And I would share with them all the stuff that I couldn't share with anyone else. And I became um, even more compassionate for people who you would normally judge. You're like, no, that's a choice. And these people have a right to be whoever they want. They didn't want to play the game of working 100 hours a week and building this, building that. And they just wanted to have more freedom and develop their soul and do whatever it was. And I learned so much from that going, you don't have to be a workaholic. You don't have to have marriage and kids by 25 and have a house by 30 or you're a loser. So it started to shift everything. And then I, uh, my maternal grandmother came over um, and said, oh, she went to a psychic when my mom was young and said that my, her daughter was going to marry a foreigner and have five daughters. And one of them was going to be a star. And I went, I get to be the star. Now all my other sister's going, I don't care. I don't want to be a star. But to me, that was when Charlie's Angels and all that was up. Oh, girl, I, like, oh, I know. My God, you get, <laughs> yeah, I'm like, oh, my God, you get fame. You get millions of dollars. You get freedom. You get to travel the world. You get to go to the White House. You know, all this stuff was in my head. So I'm like, oh, let me get books on Aubrey Hepburn, Liz Taylor, Barbara Streisand, figure out how to be a star. What is that? You know, so... That just planted a seed, which also, you know, when you're when you're born, you know, you've heard of the acorn theory, you know, James Hillman, where we're all born with a seed in us and you have to water it to grow. And sometimes you stamp it out and you go in the wrong direction. But if you keep watering that, you're going to um, ultimately become who you're supposed to be when your personality meets, you know, with your authentic soul and your personality is your ego and everything that's been done to you to kind of prohibit you from reaching your goal, all your right. obstacles, right? right? So when they're in alignment, you're in your authentic soul and that's your acorn when you become an oak tree. So I start thinking about that going, oh my God, this is what I'm supposed to do. And then I was at San Diego state and Madonna, her first tour, the Virgin tour, 
her very first concert was at San Diego State where I was going to college. I'm like, of course it is. She's from a patriarchal family. Her father's an immigrant, a huge family. How did she become Madonna at 17 or 18, you know? So I go, I got to meet her. I got to meet her. So I went to that concert, found out where the band was playing afterwards, went there, met the band. Um, and then, of course, I was still Chaldean and, you know, this good girl. So I'm like, well, I have to be home by 11. I have church tomorrow. And this and that. I got there at 1030. They're like, what am I? Oh, my God. Everyone else is doing coke and hanging out, drinking. I'm like, oh, I can't drink. I can't do that. My dad will get me. I'll be in so much trouble. They're like, you're 22. I'm like, you know, it is what it is. <laughs> But I exchanged numbers with a band member and he said, you know, let's keep in touch. And we ended up talking the whole tour. And he's like, you've got to come to New York the last five days there. You can meet Madonna and all this stuff. So my dad said, absolutely not. So I ended up writing a Sin City. Right? Yes. Yes. But just San Diego. I was born in Detroit till I was 10, but, you know, I was younger then. So that's all I knew. So I ended up leaving a note. So sorry. Had to go to New York. And I just left while he was at work and I went. And I got to meet Madonna and I'm like, Madonna, how did you become Madonna? And she was tying her shoelace about to go on her six mile run in the morning before her concert. And long story short, she said, travel, travel alone. Because when you're from our cultures, you don't know who you are because everyone's telling you who you are. Mm. But when you travel alone, you get to make all your own decisions. How late do I want to stay up? When do I want to get up? Where do I want to go? Where do I want to eat? And I thought, oh my God. So that led me on a two week trip to Europe where it was like seven, eight cities, but traveling through Europe and getting into all sorts of trouble because I had, I'm a new traveler, got everything stolen on day four, this stolen on day eight, almost someone on top of me from Brindisi, Italy to Greece on a boat because I had no room. And all of a sudden, what are you doing? Get off! I think people, are, you know, because it just said, I'm an idiot, you know, going through right. idiots <laughs> in, in Italy. With I'm, all a, those- I'm a pretty young American with no idea of what I'm doing. Right. Yeah, like diamonds on my fake even, but still it looked. And then those dolphin shorts, do you remember those? Yes, I do. Did you yeah, have the ones with the different color? Did you have yes. the ones? <laughs> yes. I went, I went those, to San Diego State too, girl. So I know. Yeah. 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 I remember the dolphin shorts. They were so short too. Yes. And then around Italy, come on. And you're in your early 20s. And it's like, why are these people doing this to me? Why are men coming up to me? It's like I was so, so naive because I was so um, protected. Wow. So it was a great wake up call. So when I went back home, I'm like, I got to go to L.A. I can't stay here anymore. Something inside me changed. And I said, disown me, whatever you have to do, I'm moving. And I moved to L.A. with a girlfriend who wanted to be a singer. And then I stayed with the Madonna guy. And he's still a friend today. Ironically, I just saw him a couple of days ago, but <sighs> yeah. And he, yeah. So every day there's Madonna at the house, earth, wind and fire, Prince, Apollonia, that was purple rain. Also, you know, everyone said, you'll be back in a couple of days. You'll never survive. You're a fawn. All of a sudden I'm with all these people. And I met Madonna and Sean's wedding a couple of months later. Then my boyfriend was up for a Grammy award for jazz. And I met the Grammy awards. Like in September, I moved there in June. August was the wedding. September is the Grammys and Janet Jackson. So I'm like, this is so easy. Of course, that's psychic said, you know. And you're but like, I'm not coming back. No. Never coming back. Never coming back. And I never have. Uh, I, I, well, I love the 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 thing too about when you when you do travel um and you tra- especially when you're younger um you have to think you know things are not all prepared for you either 
You know, you have to think on your feet and, and it's true. You, things, things will go wrong. You know, you'll, you'll be, you know, robbed or something will happen, but you have to, you have to rely on your wits and your wisdom, right. To, to get out of those situations. It also helps form you as an adult, as you, as you get older to decide to that, um, what you want and what you don't want. Yes. Right. There's that because there's some people that are especially young people that walk around they don't know what they want and they don't know what they don't want but when you're out there on your on your own you're like oh okay that's that experience okay that I will never do again uh cross that off my list um this I do like I like the feeling of of you know sitting around a campfire and singing songs with a bunch of hippies or whatever it is yes yes I know when I was really young uh well I was like before I went to school, even uh, we lived on campus at a, a prep school, Montclair, Montclair College Prep. It's there in the valley. And my dad was a, a teacher there. And uh, I would remember there was this these this hippie couple, this man and woman who were they were called and they were called the hippies. Right. Uh, they were building a boat, a big boat in the back. I don't know if they were a relative of the principal of the the person who ran the school or what the deal was. I just remember that I couldn't wait to go out there and just watch them and talk to them, but watch them sand this boat and, you know, do all the little things that they were doing, painting it and all that stuff. And it was in my mind, I was like, well, these are supposed to be the hippies. They're pot smoking, you know, this or that. They're the ones that in those days were called, you know, the outsiders or the, the people you want to stay away from. Cause this was like, you know, during, you know, like Nixon and all this stuff. And I said, but they're really nice. They were so gentle and kind with me and they weren't, I wasn't a bother to them. Like you, you know, like I wasn't some kid, like get away kid. No, they were like, here, do you want to, you know, do you want to help us with the boat? Do you want to? And I was like, wow, they treat me better than the supposed, you know, the good, you know, the good Christians. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, when you learn that at an early age, you're like, there's there's nothing wrong with these people. They're actually kind. And I yeah. think it's important to develop that sense to not judge right away either. We are quite judgy as human beings, aren't we? Very much so. But when you stop that, people feel it. I remember you know, kind of being an idiot, but I loved that side of me. I was, I went to Amsterdam for the first time by myself. And of course I ended up in the red light district because what do you do in Amsterdam? You have to explore it all. You know, I went to Anne Frank's house, Van Gogh museum, and then, you know, the red light district. And I'm walking there and went into some, you know, interesting places, (laughs) lots of little uh, red light rooms. And just to see what do people do here and who are these people? Then I started walking through the, um, area where all the women are behind the glass. And I knocked on a couple of doors saying, can I interview you? You know, I'll pay you the same as if I'm a gentleman caller, but I want to know who you are, why you do what you do. What, then some said, no, 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 no. Cause no cameras, no, this, no, that. Then one person let me in as long as I wouldn't take pictures, but she'd let me audio her and her name was Teresa. And I said, why are you doing this? What's going on? How did you get here? Cause she was Russian. I go, how did you get to Amsterdam? And she shared her story. And once you start hearing people's story, you start relating because you connect with them on so many different levels. We're all the same fundamentally. 
some of the experiences are different, but the feeling and the emotion under it is the same. So we're like having this deep conversation. And she's saying, you know, she just wishes one day someone would touch her soul instead of her body and how she protects herself and that she's doing this because she has to raise her two kids that she had that from a rape and she didn't want an abortion. And she's sacrificing herself for that. And you know, her sister is a lawyer and looks down on her, but she married rich and that guy put her through school. She didn't have that. And she's the one who got raped and had kids. At a, you got to admire that going, oh my God, she went to a different country doing this. So she sent money home to her kids. And it was just so impressive. And you're like, we all have our own journey. There's nothing right or wrong about anyone's choices. And when I was going home, it was late at night. I stopped into a, a bar and was doing pot, <laughs> whatever they gave at the bar. They have all this stuff. I'm like, I got to try it when in Rome. So then these people come up to me and go, oh, come join us. And I'm joining them and learning. They were from Prague and all these different places. There's about six of them. Then at the end, it was like four in the morning. They said, do you want us to drive you home? I said, no, no, no. I want to walk. They said, oh, it's about a mile. I said, I'm cool with that because I just wanted the experience. It was like four in the morning. Then it started, I started walking out and it started getting a little shady, a lot of drunk characters. And so I found the biggest guy and I said, excuse me, you will, you walk me back. And it's like, what are you talking about? I go, just walk me back. And I kind of grabbed him and he started walking with me. He goes, how do you know I'm not a bad person? or I'm not going to hurt you. I said, oh, I don't attract that. I only attract good guys. So I don't care who you are in your life. You can even share it with me, but you're going to get me home safely. And then he walked me all the homes to the rooms at the hotel safely. And he goes, may I come in for him? And I said, no, this is where it ends. And he's like, oh, we'll always have Amsterdam. And I just looked at that and he shared so much about who he was and first impression. He's this rugged guy, mean guy, bad guy. But when you don't judge, they feel it. And then you, there's a complicitness about you guys where you become one soul where you could just share and just so much you know, heart and truth comes out. We all come in here as babies. We're all newbies just trying to find our way home. When you have people walking you home, even if it's for a minute or 10 minutes or 30 minutes, that left a huge impression more than people I've known for 12 years or whatever. That little moment of saying, I'm going to protect you for 15 minutes, even though it's not my natural character, you know, mm -hmm. and it taught me mm -hmm. It is who you are, you know, like attracts like vibration. It's all about vibration. It's all about how you stand in the world, how you hold yourself in the world. That's what you're going to attract. I never once got hurt on all these travels by myself. And I got into some crazy situations. I even went up to the Yakuza in Japan because I got a modeling contract. And then I thought, oh, I'm never going to be here again. I want to meet geishas because I want to know about how come they wear these masks and how come, because from going up in Middle Eastern culture, why would you train to serve men? And why would you train to be this and that? So I was on this mission and I found geishas and that's a whole nother story. But then I saw the Yakuza and they said, you could see them when their pinkies are cut off. So I went to this place. They said, don't go to Gion. That's the dangerous place. That's where the Yakuza are. I'm like, okay, got it. You know, taxi, Gion, please. You know. And then I went there and I looked for tables. Then when a guy had their pinkies cut off and I just went and sat down and I said, hi. And I was 22 going, uh, what are you doing here? Or 23. And they said, you know, oh, we're not Yakuza. I go, yes, you are. I read that if your pinkies are cut, you guys have pinkies cut off. I said, I just want to know where the severed heads are. I want to know what you do, why you do it, who did it, why, what's the outcome, what's, who are you guys? I'm never going to be back here. And I said, I may want to write a book about it sometime. And I just want to know from my own knowledge, not from a book. 
And I sat there and hung out with them for about a week. And they took me places. They never showed me lockers with severed heads because I read that in a book. (laughs) They said, no, we don't have any of that. They said, what we do is we go to businesses because it's fair and stand in front. If they don't give us like money, 50,000, we will ruin their business. And if they give it, then they protect the business. They said it's just like any other thing. Every it's business like the mob. It's like yeah, it's, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's like New Jersey. <laughs> it's yes, like New Jersey, yes. right? Yeah, and they train people if they don't follow, you know, in line. You know, they get a little rough, but it was just fascinating because I'm then I'm seeing their heart side, I'm seeing their family side, and what got them into that, and how it happened, and then you start understanding how people think, feel, act, what their story is, what their journey is. You could start having compassion. Look at all the people in jail. If we just gave them, you know, jazz music and put them in courses and gave them compassion and empathy going, what happened to you? Tell me your story. And you really yeah. care. So much of what it would is, happen, yeah. right? So much of it is, is what happened. What uh, happened? Yeah. I, I, my, my dad was a probation officer in Los Angeles and, and he, uh, a lot of times he would, when he was working with, with young boys, he would get them, try to get them into like athletics. Cause that was his thing. He was a football coach and, you know, he, he was like, sport is the way to, you know, get out of the, and a lot of them did, they channeled all their, you know, their energy into sport and things like that. But he would, he would say, do you know what, Christine, what's frustrating to me is that when I'm working with a young man and telling him that I care about him and getting him introduced into sports and things like that. He said, the light that is shining in their eyes is so bright and they feel hopeful. But when we put them back into the, the place where they came from, their, their neighborhood, uh, their situation, if, you know, they might have, you know, a parent who is, on drugs or alcohol who has, you know, substance abuse, because, you know, it's, it's just that continuing story, right? That ripple effect. It just continues from, from father to child to son, from mother to daughter, mother to son, all those things. And he said, that was what the tragedy was that he felt was um, there was, there was hope and, and a different life in front of them. But a lot of times when they were put back into those situations, abject poverty and, and, drugs and crime all around you, um, they would slip back into those, you know, those situations where they found themselves, you know, either going to juvie or going into jail eventually. So yeah. it's so important. Um, the environment that we're in, well, you know what, uh, with, um, oh, I want to remind our wonderful uh, v- viewers and listeners, if you're watching this on YouTube, you can see my beautiful guest, Lisa Heisha. If you are listening to us on radio or on the podcast, uh, Out of the Box with Christine podcast, my guest today is Lisa Heisha, and she is a spiritual teacher, motivational speaker, author, world traveler, life coach. She's just a renaissance woman, <laughs> like myself in many ways. And uh, she's the author of the book, Soul Blazing, Transform Your Imposters into Superpowers and Live a More Purposeful and Authentic Life. Um, I like this idea about imposters because I work as a coach, and you do this as well, I'm sure. I work with clients who their n- number one, number two issue is this imposter syndrome thing where they're like, well, who am I, you know, to, who am I to be a public speaker? Who am I to 
be um, someone that people can come to for advice. Who am I to be a leader? Oh, <laughs> I'm like, you are the perfect person. No, um, but this imposter syndrome, so many of us have it and and wrestle with it. Can you talk about that? I, apparently, the, the soul blazing is also based on, uh, it's a form of personal transformation, but it's based on seven imposters or archetypes. Can you talk about that? Go over that a little bit? Yeah, from working with thousands of people over like 20 years and working with foster kids, working in orphanages, working in schools everywhere with uh, and on my travels, I started saying there's got to be a pattern here because I started hearing, you know, I did this, especially in jail, because this person did this to me, they're victims. And in real life, I don't have money because my parents did this to me. I didn't have da, 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 or someone stole it or whatever, or the overthinker. Um, I wanted to write that book or I wanted to do that, but they were perfectionists and never got it done. Or the joker, they, everything's a joke, or they try to put other people down just to make themselves look better. And the egotist who is just like, you know, I'll kill anyone to get to the top, no scruples, just, you know, brutal, or the seductor, you know, sleep them way to them top, the top or flirt or use their, you know, wiles to get whatever, whatever it is, or the judge judging others and judging themselves. And then the fixer always worrying about fixing other people so they don't have to look at their own, themselves. Then the ultimate goal is your authentic soul, which is, you know, who you truly are. But all these are masks that we put on and we sometimes have all of them on, sometimes one, sometimes two, but there's usually a dominant one at any given time during your life. And I know my mask has changed throughout. Sometimes it's one, then it's another. And it's like, oh, that's interesting. Why am I living my life right now like this? Why did I make that choice? Oh, I'm scared. Usually it comes from fear, trying to protect yourself. So you put on this mask and then you start telling a story and it's like, that's not really a true story. It's a story I made up because no story is true. And I know you know that when, you know, we, I have four sisters. If you say, oh, what was your childhood? Like all of us have different images. Some, I think we were rich. My sister says, no, we were poor. My dad borrowed money all the time. (laughs) We wore hand-me-downs. I'm like, no, we weren't, you know, so it's like everyone has a story. So if you just get to nothing really matters and you get to create your own story, you get to rewrite your childhood, you get to rewrite your story of who you are. And here in my office, I have pictures of people who I want to be like, because you are a combination of the five closest people to you. So I've got Gandhi, I've got Simone de Beauvoir, Anais Nin, Oprah Winfrey, Herman Hess, Aubrey Hepburn. Yeah, Yeah, I've got Maya Angelou. I've got Pablo Picasso, Wayne Dyer, Marilyn Monroe, Tracy Chapman, Tina Turner, all these people. So, and I have their books and it's like, oh, just read a chapter or read a paragraph, whatever. So their essence is always coming in. I love the grace of Aubrey Hepburn. I love the sassiness of Tina Turner and the Oprah Winfrey, how she overcame so much and there was no excuses in her life. And Anais Nin, she was fearless of writing in her journals and telling the truth, you know, all these people. And it's like, then that's who you become. So many people are in a household or they collect friends who are like them and they stay the same and they can't grow. And it's like, no, because your your vibration is, you know, like especially women in prison. I'm like, why are you here? It's like, oh, my great grandparents, my grandparents, my parents were all in jail in and out and they were all, you know, murder, drugs, you know, single family homes where 
nobody, you know, latchkey kids. And it was just the culture. So it's like, that's just who I became. And that's how I raised my kids. And that's how and it's like, no, but you could stop that. And it's very powerful once you do. And that's how soul blazing came about. I was in the Chowchilla prison, um, working with these lifers. And then I got the bully of the prison and her, her name was Bella. And then she was so mean to me, like daring me to have any compassion to her. Who do you think you are? You know, you're this, you know, privileged person and da da da. I'm like, no, I'm here to help. Because you know how many people have been in here? Like, you know, I've been in here for 23 years. <laughs> it's like every month there's two or three counselors, social workers, priests, teachers. And she says, no one could help me. I'm in here for life regardless. So she was just really mean, really angry. You know, she had a shaved head and she had tattoos, snakes going down, twirling around her biceps. And she was just mean through and through. And I'm like, no, you could trust me. She goes, how can I trust you? And she goes, I hate your stupid briefcase. You know, like who brings a briefcase? (laughs) (laughs) Fucking relatable to us. I'm like, I hate my briefcase too. Okay, I brought it to impress you. I thought it made me look smart. (laughs) So that broke the ice a little. I said, just give me a minute. Give me your hands. And I held her hands and I was fearless. I just went up to her like this, intertwined our legs. And I just went up to her and looked her in the eyes. I said, just take a minute. Just forget who you are for a second. And I just looked at her and saying, I love you. You know, I love you. And something in her broke. I think she first of all felt seen for the first time. And then we started just talking. And at the end of it, she said, you know, Lisa, you blazed my soul. And I said, look, Bella, you just gave me the name for my business instead of a life coach. And I'm a soul blazer. And I said, listen, this is what you do. And I gave her affirmations. I said, what's troubling you? Then based on that, I create declarations where, you know, if you say whatever, whatever issue it is, I'll, you know, you know, I'm ugly or whatever. It's like, who gave you that? And that's what your imposter is. What mask gave you that? Who gave you that? If you name it, you could claim it. Oh, my mom used to tell me that or my dad or this bully at school. Then right. you go, oh, Okay. That's theirs. It's not you. It's a dysfunctional person gave you all your issues. You didn't, it's not you, it's them. And then what's the opposite of that? Or how do you want to be seen? I'm a beautiful being, you know, whatever it is. So you create that based on that. And I gave her these and I said, when you want to kill someone or someone's new and you want to torture them, think about how you could love them. What do you have in common? Change their vibration. This this is like um, a whole city. And I don't know if you've ever been to a prison. It is like no. a city. But yes, it's I... just like Sherman Oaks or Studio City or Hollywood. It's huge. I go, yeah. this is your home. You live here forever. Make it fun. Make it nice. Be the you know counselor of everyone because you're in here for life and you're you have obviously a strong personality, a leadership personality that everyone fears. But instead of fearing, have them love you. And she was in there for killing her third husband. But he said, she said he tried to hurt her. And I believe that. Because, you know, all the women, I did it. All the men's present, I I was framed. And I'm like, yes. oh, interesting, right. the women, right. I kill them. <laughs> right. But, you know, I believe her because she keeps picking the same type of people that she saw her dad do to her mom. Right. And it's a pattern. Right. Right. So I said, but you could change that. And at, at, after about six months, she raised all this money on a pay phone, raising money for battered women. And this, the prison told me, what What did you do? The chaplain calling, what did you do to her? She's changed. And I'm like, oh my God, that's fantastic. They don't allow you to keep in touch because they think that could be a yeah, right, right. You know, dangerous situation, whatever. So, but they told me that and I'm like, oh my God, that really helped. Just someone seeing her, no one could see her soul. Oh, she's the mean one. She's the bully. She's the angry one. When you go, no, you're not. Because you I didn't see judge. You. Yeah. You didn't judge. You're a good her. person. Yeah. You didn't, you didn't um, judge 
and just say, well, and that's because that's the other thing. People go, well, if they're in prison, they deserve it. And they should, you know, rotten, rotten jail. And it's like, yes. no, first of all, you don't know. I, I, I personally, I know someone, um, a, um, a, a woman who was in jail uh, and she was saying that she had gone and spoken to, she's out now and she actually helps women do the, the transfer. That's the other thing. When they're, when they're let out of jail, they have nothing. They give them nothing. Right. And so they're basically like, you know, go and survive. <laughs> um and, and so, but she, but she said that so many of the women there were in there because they retaliated or defended themselves against an abusive boyfriend, um, yes. husband, someone that they knew. That's um, exactly true. It wasn't some stranger, but they finally at some point just snapped or just said, you know what, you're not going to hurt me anymore. And they defended themselves and they're in prison trying to survive. So yes. we don't we yeah we we don't need to judge people just because they're in a certain situation. It's the same thing when when um I, I've I I'm very sensitive. I'm very much an empath, and I'm very very sensitive to other people. I have that compassion, and so when I see someone who's homeless, um, who's on the street, I really don't like it when people judge them and they go, "Oh, they should just get a job." I can't believe they're out. It's like you, mate. You don't know what that person has been through. You don't know what brought them to this point and why not be kind and why not take a moment and listen to their story, you know, help them in some way instead of judging. And I think if we did that as a society, we would be in a lot better uh, position right now. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. That's everyone in there. Something happened and it was somebody they knew overall and, once I let my inner Mathena off on Bella, you know, and mirrored her angriness and that, and then got into the love and saying, listen, we could go that direction or we could just cut through. I know who you are. I see you. You're not that person. It was your choices you made and that you continue to make to protect yourself. You could also make these choices and be much happier and have a much better life. You know, so it's all choices. And if we just gave these people a chance and created a different prison system, everything could change. We wouldn't have all this crime. But when nobody cares about you and they know that they already are so deep into the negative of life, there's no other option but to keep committing crimes, which is awful. Well, it's it's really hard. It's, I call it the spiral. It's really hard when yeah. in, if you're in jail or not in jail, if you, you know, just in life in general, when we spiral down that emotional um, drain. You know, when, when water, when you let the bathtub water out and it goes down the drain, yes. um, I find that it's, it can be hard for people to stop that because it's so strong. The force is so strong to yeah. spiral down to say, you know, no one loves me, you know, you know, F the world, who cares? You know, I'll get what I want because, you know, nobody, nobody cares about me. Right. And, and it's that survival. I don't know what that is, if that's the, uh, that part of our brain that maybe we're afraid of getting kicked out of the tribe, you know, and, and, and have to be eaten by a dinosaur or saber toothed tiger. So we, we have this, this need to feel like we're going to do anything and everything it takes, no matter what or who we hurt. Um, but I think that you're, you've, you've caught onto something about just even just trying to be able to connect with someone looking them in the eye is huge. 
as well. Oh, yeah. The people were scared. No, you can't get that close. You're supposed to stand this line. No, no, no. This is special. Like, no, she's the worst one in the prison. I'm like, stop. <laughs> Let me do my thing. Putting away the script and I'm going to do what I do and see what I could do. Because otherwise, why am I here? It's just wasting my time. You know, so. But after some of these experiences, I still realized there was something broken inside me from what happened to me as a child, even though my dad and I were good friends again and buddies and I understood what he did. And it was a isolated incident. It's not like that happened every day. But I decided I needed to go to Iraq because I'm going, I'm not going to be an actress anymore. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do that. What am I going to do with my life? And that's when I was obsessed with Christiane Annapur. Remember her? Yes, and she's yeah. still around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she was in Afghanistan and Bosnia doing all this war reporting. I'm like, so you were oh my God. Be a journalist, you were going to be like, like, a, yeah, I journalist. thought, I thought that would be fun and go a to Afghanistan. correspondent would be, oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. And I thought I could be with the Taliban and I could talk to them and I could oh. like tell them I love them and I could change the world. So I heard on the news it was saying, you know, there was no Iraq was being invaded. It was de desert storm. Oh, and they wow. said, you know, it's no fly zone. So you have to go to Jordan and it's an 18 hour bus ride into Iraq. And the, they stop it five times and sometimes they kidnap Americans. So I said, I got it. I will get on that bus and I will get kidnapped. And then I'm going to talk to them, soul blaze <laughs> them. Then we're going to write a book together. And then I'm going to get on CNN and everything. Then I'm going to become a war reporter because now I'm going to change the whole Middle East situation. <laughs> you're, you're, you're the you're the Middle East peace plan <laughs> through getting kidnapped. Yeah. So I planned it. I got cubic zirconia and I got a, you know, fake Louis Vuitton bag. And I go there and I go to uh, New York International then to get on to Jordan. And I meet this woman there. I just see her by herself a lot because you're there about two hours ahead of time. And I end up going up to her. Who are you with? Are you going to Jordan? She goes, oh, no, I'm going to Iraq. I go, where's your family? Going by myself. I go, why? She goes, oh, I'm going there to kill myself. I go, what? She goes, I heard there was a bus. She was around my same age. I said, no, this is what we're going to do. Why don't you join me? This is a long story short. Join me and we could, you know, co-write this book together and we could be journalists together. And she's like, oh, that sounds cool. So we get on the spot. better than killing myself. <laughs> yeah, because she was locked in a family where she couldn't be herself. And she was the prized child. She was the unknown ninth child that was an accident. And everyone oh. else had to have, you know, own grocery store jobs and that they groomed her to be the lawyer. Now she's this prestigious lawyer and she goes, I want to be a belly dance teacher, live in LA. I like drugs. I like, you know, you have to marry a good Arab boy. And she goes, I like everybody, you know, right. she was in New York all the time and going, I can't live this. I can't be fake any longer and I can't disappoint my family. So I went, I get it. So we went on this trip and then when they, uh, they come on to do the security, I go, oh, my diamonds. Oh, my dad knew I took these. Oh, let's hide these. Oh, let me put them back in here. Will you hold them for me? Oh, do you guys know Louis Vuitton? Oh, da, da, da. And nobody heard us. Nobody did anything. We went all three rock. Then we kept saying, we got to meet Saddam Hussein with our concierge because the expats were there trying to bring peace over there. And, you know, I didn't get to meet Saddam, but I did get to meet Taha Ramadan and Tariq Aziz, the vice president and secretary of state at the time. Got into the dinner. All oh, that's a huge story. But what I learned from that is you could really get into anywhere. You could do what you want and your vibration saves you. 
Not one person there. We went to the worst part of town. They were on the news. We hate Americans. And I'm like, where is that? Go to that area. So I'd go to where they're picketing. American. And they're like, oh, Habibi, come. Come, you eat for free. Come to my restaurant. I'm like, what happened to you hate us? Like, oh, we have to say that for the news and be careful. The walls have ears. So don't say anything. And that's how they just take people and throw them in jail because they have like secret microphones everywhere. (gasps) Yeah. But it's like, oh, my God, all these people that then were afraid of, they're all nice people, too. And they're just like, they have to do it because that's what the government tells them to do. And but they're, you know, so we are I realize all the news is biased to a certain degree. Of oh, what yes. They oh, say. The positive whole... and the negative. It's like nothing ever was true when I traveled. No, the whole desert store, that whole thing was a crock of lies and and the whole Saddam Hussein thing with the mushroom cloud. Remember that mushroom cloud, mushroom cloud. It's going to yeah. be a mushroom cloud. Yeah. Everybody was oh. mushroom cloud, and uh, and that wasn't uh, no. It, 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 so much, oh, so many wars and so much strife and pain and suffering and horrors have been inflicted upon people. And uh, by the way, majority women and children. Yeah. <laughs> okay, um, based on lies. And based on greed, because yeah. we know there was a pipeline. We know the whole thing, although that's not, you know, that's not front page news anymore. Right. But um, when you actually go and meet the people. Yes. Right? Amazing. We were t- we were told to be afraid of, you know, look at the people who were Arab Americans who look at the Sikhs because they had the hair, the, the, the thing on their on their head. They were being beaten up. They were being um, beaten up in America because people thought that they were the Taliban and they're Sikhs right. and they're the most yeah. peaceful, kind, loving. Yeah, it was crazy. So yeah, very crazy. So that's the moral of the story: is is don't don't just judge and don't don't allow someone else to tell you uh, what to think about people. Go and talk to them. Yeah. And it's breeding kids to think that way. If you think that way as an adult, because then I worked my way to Tilkef, which is where my father was the Christian area, which is like 2000 people out of the whole country because everyone's Muslim. And I went into the orphanage, going, let me go because this is the orphanage my dad was going to put me and I start talking to these children. They're like, you hate us. Why does America kill us? Why does this? Why does that? The whole world's against us. I'm like, no, it's politics. We care about you. I'll memorialize your words. Then they're like, yeah, right. I'm like, how am I going to memorialize their words? So I started asking them questions, you know, is God fair? Why are we not? Who do you want to be? Who do you want to be when you grow up? Who do you, who would you want to meet? And asking them all this and caring about them for a couple of weeks. And then I left thinking, what am I going to do with this? And then I ended up getting a job for trade shows in different countries. So I go, oh, let me go to orphanages and stay longer and interview kids. And that ended up being this book, Whispers from Children's Hearts, where I went to 15 countries over five years, staying in orphanages and stuff and learning about how these kids were developed and all their prejudice based on what they were told or what happened to them. I'm saying, no, you could undo that. This is just certain people and there's a vast world out there and this, you know, just all these conversations. And it just made me feel, you know, so sad. And it was hard for me to just go on a trip unless it was a mission trip. And then I started leading retreats and workshops to these places to say, you know, let's all bring a suitcase of good goods to bring to these kids, knock on their door, be Oprah, stay there for a week, hold, uh, hire local construction workers and just give them beds or give them goats, chickens, whatever, a floor, clothing, you know, school supplies, you know, varnished desks, whatever they needed. And it was the most rewarding thing I ever did. And then 
changing these people's lives. And then you come back and you're like, how can I just go on living and, you know, just let me go to, you know, uh, sit on a beach for two weeks and just indulge with, you know, I know a lot, all that's important too, and to take time out, but it was so hard for me because I'm like, God, there's so much to do in this world. And there is I don't so- get my gratification from just sitting there. I get bored. It's like, ah, I, I could be well, doing what you, something. What you, what you just described, like by, by, you know, going to an orphanage and, and actually staying there a week and, and, you know, making things happen, not just wringing your hands and going, oh, this is horrible. Yeah. Um, this is so bad. But like actually doing something so that these kids too, that's going to be a memory for them that somebody actually cared enough to talk to them uh cared enough to actually do something to make their lives a little bit a little bit easier right and we brought polaroid cameras and gave them to the kids and took pictures of like whoa like in a minute you get a picture some of them have never even seen photos of themselves so now they have these memories with their friend i mean it was just so oh my god you know amazing you and I met my inspired. husband. You just inspired me, Lisa. You did. You have uh, definitely inspired me. And I hope our listeners, um, and 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 viewers of Out of the Box with Christine, are inspired too, as well. That is so. That is such a beautiful uh, life mission that you that you have, and that you you've you've had, and that you are having right now. Because I know you're not. It's not ending. No, no, it never ends. It never ends. No, I just got a grant from Google to work with teens and kids and I just created a program so it could be free and work with all these different people. But even when I got married, I told my husband, you have to know who I am and know what I do. So you won't get mad at me if I travel. And he's like, what? And I took him to um, Cambodia um, because someone was creating a thing there, uh, an orphanage for kids. And he was just starting. So he only had about 30 kids. And now he has about 300 kids. And he has, you know, a beauty shop, a nail salon, training them to have jobs. But at that time, you know, he was working really hard. He was a show producer. And <clears throat> he's like, I only get one month off a year. I'm like, well, you're coming here. It's like, it's on linoleum with orphans he's like what <laughs> no I want white sand beaches I'm like no so he's carrying uh hepatitis C babies through life fields he's like this is not my idea of a vacation in a hundred degrees I'm like well now you know when I say I'm traveling for a month you're gonna know what I'm doing oh, and you won't say no so he's like you got beautiful. it beautiful what yeah. a, what a wonderful way to end the show that is I'm because visually I'm just seeing him walking with the yeah I get one month off a year. I want my white sand beach. I'm like, no, this is going to stay with you. The white sand beach is just another. Yeah. What a memory. Exactly. What a memory and, and connection. Oh my gosh. Again, you, you, you've, you've inspired me so much, Lisa. I want to thank you so much for being on the show today. And if people want to find out more about you, want to learn about the book and all that stuff, uh, you have a website you want to throw out the, the URL. As they say? Yes, it's my name, lisahasia.com or soulblazing.com. Both will lead you there. Again, the book, Soul Blazing. And you could get this on Amazon. And I'm on Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook. Beautiful. Um, yeah. I'll make sure we have links in the show notes to the website and to the uh, a link directly to the book as well. One quick question before we go. Did you, do you have the audio book version of Soul I Blazing? do. It's on Amazon. Okay. Fantastic. We'll make sure we have links to all of that. Thank you again, love. It's so good to see you. It's so you. good to be with so you. you. Let's, too. let's not let 10 years pass by. I um, know. I know. Are you coming back to the States soon? Uh, for a maybe or? for a visit 
at some point. Yeah, maybe yeah. at a visit. I do miss I do miss my stomping grounds there. And um uh-huh. yeah, there's a, there's some beautiful, beautiful friends there that I would love to see again. Uh, and yeah. you will be at the top of that list as well. Oh, okay. Yay. Okay. <laughs> thank you so much. And I want to thank you wonderful listeners and viewers uh, on YouTube for, for joining us today. If you want more information about the show, you can go to outoftheboxwithchristine.com. And if you want more information about me and my coaching, you can go to christineblosdale.com. Links will be in the show notes. And until next time, as I always say, remember to think outside that damn box. Bye for now. <laughs>